Hello and welcome to The Point of Everything. My name is Owen O'Sullivan and today's episode is a live show recorded upstairs at the Randy in Plugged for the fifth edition of Quota Block Party Festival, which took place at the start of February. My guests were Caroline O'Donoghue, who wrote uh, Promising Young Women, a book that I really, really enjoyed in 2018 and Roisin Kelly a really really great poet who's currently writing her debut novel so I was delighted to be joined uh, by the two of them and we talked about London, Cork, Caroline is based in London we're not just talking about various cities talking about poetry and novels and lots and lots of other things so hopefully you'll enjoy that you'll get a full explanation of who Caroline and Roisin are if you need the synopses just after we hear a track from Junior Brother, who was also present uh, on the day. He played a couple of tracks for us, one at the start and one at the end. So you'll hear the first track in a sec, and then the last track, well, I guess you'll hear that at the end. So thanks, Mill, to Paddy for doing sound. Thanks to Keelan and Ashling and all of the Quarter Block Party team for asking me to do the show. It's the second time uh, that I've been at Quarter Block Party with the TPOE podcast, and I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it, and I really, really enjoyed the weekend. I thought it was as expected. A really great showcase of new upcoming and emerging Irish music. La Boom are probably a little bit established at this stage, even though they've only got a couple of singles under their belt. I saw them for like 15 or 20 minutes at the pavilion and I thought they were absolutely unbelievable. They're going to, again, own festival season in 2019. They're just such a great live band. I saw Kneecap as well, a trio of rappers from Belfast who rap mostly in Irish and I didn't know anything going into them and I was a bit sceptical for the first 10 or 15 minutes but holy moly they won me over they had the crowd won over from the start it was a raucous and they're going to have a big year too and there was lots of other acts that I thoroughly enjoyed as well so quarter block party it was the fifth year of it I'm looking forward to the sixth seventh eighth edition of the festival I think it's such a great thing to have and it happens early in the year too when when you need something to happen. So without further ado, this is Junior Brother. I saw him playing at Spalping Phonic the day before the uh, podcast recording, and he was so good. It was my first time seeing him finally. I had heard a lot of great things, and he just like owned the crowd. It was so quiet in Spalping Phonic. Not an easy thing to do. So here we go with Junior Brother. I attempt to empty my vocabulary Writing these letters signed for to be sent All the way to Dublin, to the house yet living Unless I'm mistaken and got the wrong door I approach the counter like I am a hunter Even though I am prevalent Was easy, but a boss began it as a very young child. 
Thanks. Thank you. Yeah, so my name is Ono Sullivan. I host the Point of Everything uh, Arts and Music podcast. And doing in 2019, I thought it would be nice to try and do a monthly uh, feature interview with authors. So last month was the first one. So that was with Wendy Erskine, a great writer from Belfast, who released a short story collection. And today, I'm delighted to have Caroline O'Donoghue and Roisin Kelly here on the podcast, on the recording. Um, you'll be able to listen back to it if you're not paying attention today. Uh, <laughs> so, so you know, that, that's there. Um, just a brief introduction, I suppose, of Caroline and Roisin before we get into the uh, interview. Caroline released her debut novel, Promising Young Women, to critical acclaim. <laughs> I, I wrote this. In, <laughs> in 2018, and she's currently working on her second novel. She's also a columnist with The Times Ireland and hosts two podcasts, I think, School for Dumb Women and Sentimental Garbage. I think that's right. That's yeah. Right. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Roisin Kelly, on, the f on my far left, stage right, <laughs> stage right. Uh, Roisin Kelly was born in Belfast, raised in Leitrim, and currently lives in Cork City. Her first chapbook of poetry, Rapture, was published by Southward Editions in 2016. Her work has appeared in Poetry, Lighthouse, The Stingfly, Headstuff, Best New British and the Irish Poets 2016, and in the Irish Times after it was shortlisted for the Hennessy New Irish Writing Award. And she won the... There's one more line. <laughs> she, she won the Fish Poetry Prize in 2017. Is there anything else that needs to be added? What prize is there? You want to show off about Roisin? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Not to my knowledge. Uh, so, Caroline, you just came from Naked Boys in the Triscoll. How was that? R right, so I came from Naked Boys Reading, which... <laughs> Explain. Explain. I mean, there's no real explanation necessary. It is what it says it is. It's um, I was the kind of curator for four lads uh, who were reading naked in the Triscoll. And it's honestly the coolest thing I've ever been asked to do. Like there's like like one guy was in the Navy. Like one guy was like a hurler. One guy had like never been on stage in his life. Like. It was just amazing, and I got to know them really well. And it was honestly, it was weird when they put their clothes on. Then and I was like, "Oh, you're just a bloke!" Like, okay. like um, it was yeah, it was fantastic. Yeah. Like uh, the idea isn't like it's not your idea or quarter block party's idea. It's like a a general thing that kind of tours and it's of its own thing. Yeah, it's kind of been all over the world. It's like um. Yeah, this guy called Justin Hunt, he does it in lots of cities in England and America. He's done it everywhere, and he kind of franchises it out, if you will, um, to other arts festivals. And I think this is the first one that's ever happened in this part of the world, as far as I'm aware. And what's interesting is what context that brings to it. Because, for example, I think he's most regularly does it in Brighton, which, you know, has a really thriving, kind of very extroverted queer scene where it's, like, very normal to just, like, see a drag queen walking down the street in the middle of the day eating ice cream. Um, and, so <laughs> and so, like, having, like, you know, some naked men, um, all of whom probably exist within the same gay community there, it's brilliant, but it's a different context to being here in Ireland in a place with a lot of historic, you know... Like, I said this on stage earlier on, but, like, we are a country who's been 
our bodies are defined by what they've lacked. Do you know what I mean? Like we had not to bring up the F word, but we had the famine, lads. And <laughs> and and like that was, you know, that was you know, England told us we weren't starving and then the Catholic Church told us we weren't sexual and we've just been we've come from this weird gross soil of us being told to not identify with our own bodies so it was really amazing to stand in that church with their langers out and just and just be like fuck it we're here you know <laughs> i like that you haven't lost the lingo you've been living in uh, in london for a couple of years Eight you years, know I, yeah. I was expecting johnsons or something maybe but no <laughs> uh, johnsons la langers it is <laughs> yeah. when, when did you uh, move to london i moved to london in 2011 to coincide with the closure of HMV, where I worked. <laughs> and um, yeah, no, it was completely a, what I thought to be like this well-trodden path of like, I'll go to London to be a writer. And uh, then obviously, like if, you, if you're trying to make any kind of career in media in London, it is like closed door after closed door, especially after that time, because the recession, you know, as much as it decimated here, it actually did affect London as well. And um, I spent a lot of years just keeping like blogs, um, while working in like recruitment and like all these weird little crappy odd jobs and it's only really in the last two or three years that I've had any kind of living as a writer or any a, cre a creative person you know did you go over to London with the intention of being an author or was it just like a career in journalism or just a career it was just writing it was one of those typical things where it was the only thing it was always a bit useless in school and like I always sort of like d's and f's and that kind of stuff and um it was the only thing I was ever praised for. So I was like, it doesn't matter if it's journalism, doesn't matter if it's books, just like as long as I can keep this praise coming in, <laughs> I can sustain my ego. <laughs> yeah, validation, etc. Uh, is that the same with you, Roisin? Stoking, stoking the ego, all these prizes that you've oh, got. that you've it. got. <laughs> you really feed off it. <laughs> Please tell me more nice things. <laughs> uh, when did you come to Cork? Because uh, it's kind of interesting. It's like Caroline leaves Cork for London. So one in, one out policy. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, five years ago, almost exactly. How, how do you find the city? Do you find that like, th like it's creative, like welcoming community that actually like is inspiring? Yes. Um, everyone here is really supportive, um, whether that's music or writing or whatever. And that kind of shocked me a bit at first because everyone would say really nice things and I'd just be like, what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, why isn't everyone so cynical and stuff? And the level of support here for the arts is just unreal. Yeah. yeah. Um, why did you move to Cork in the first place? Oh. Was it for college or something or was it? <laughs> Uh-oh, oh. there's some annoying laughs there My in the audience. My life just fell apart. Oh. <laughs> I had to move back to Leitrim for a few weeks and then I was like, I'll move to Cork. Um, for no reason, <laughs> and I'm still here. <laughs> so, yeah. No plans to leave? No, not as yet, no, I love it here, yeah. Is, is like taking praise one of the things that you kind of get used to as an author? I mean, you've got, you, you take like the high, oh, is the rejection more what you need to get used to? Like, you know, when you send off your manuscripts or something and you're getting rejection, like, do you deal with like the highs and the lows of uh, just that experience of those emotions? Yeah, I've been thinking about that a lot lately, actually, because I, when I, I th if I think about it, I actually had more confidence when no one liked me. Um, <laughs> uh, when like I was, you know, I, w I had this sort of um, blog going for years and years um, and I would go into interviews for like staff writer jobs beca um, because I couldn't, 
I didn't have the money or the resources to do to like do that thing where you do an internship for like a year and then hope something opens up at the end of it. That wasn't an option. So I just thought this blog could do everything for me. And I would go in and I would be like, look what I have. And they'd be like, so, <laughs> you know? And and I remember having this like really iron like sense of purpose being like, it's really their fault that they don't get it. Um, but then once I had the book out, my like confidence crashed. Like, because suddenly all this stuff that I was getting from inside was now externalized. I was just reading the Amazon reviews, reading the Goodreads reviews, like just hoping, finding, like, trying to go, like sift through the nice things people were saying to find something terrible someone said and then internalizing that. Do you know what I mean? Um, so it definitely, I think everyone who brings out a book should go for a few weeks of therapy, you know, because <laughs> you need it. Like, <laughs> it's a weird transition. Do you, do you find the same with um, the stuff that you've done, Roshi? And I know that you're writing your debut novel at the moment. Yeah. Um, this is in regards to poetry. Yeah. Writing. Yeah. Um, I find the rejection is definitely more valuable. Um, as long as it's critical, like, no, constructive criticism, no? No, just <laughs> rejection. Because <laughs> when you send stuff out to journals and magazines you're just going to get rejected a lot, especially when you don't have the track record of already having been published. Um, so then they'll just send you an email that says no. And um, Dear applicant. Dear applicant, <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> you suck. <laughs> um, yeah, and then there's just like a few days of just being like, well, whatever. And um, then you're like, well, I'll just send it out again, or I might change it, or edit it, or see how it could be improved. And then it just takes a few years yeah. <laughs> to kind of, yeah. And how have you found uh, writing the debut book? Was that just kind of like a natural progression on from the poetry? Or was it like, I want a challenge of writing like 50,000 words as opposed to like yeah. however many? I think I just wanted like a project. And poetry is sort of... Um, Oh, it's very in the moment. If you're feeling a very strong emotion, that's probably where it's going to come out. And perhaps my emotions have stabilized somewhat over the years, so I'm not writing as much poetry. <laughs> and then I was like, I want something that I can go to every day and feel good about and uh, just enjoy. I don't know if it's any good, but I enjoy it. So I think that's the main thing. Yeah. And Caroline, like your debut novel, Promising Young Women, which came out last year, which you haven't bought a copy of, you told me beforehand, you need to go yeah. to Waterstones. Yeah, you said, are you going to do a reading? I was like, oh, I didn't bring my book with me. I guess I could go buy it. Yeah. And like, <laughs> with revulsion, like, how dare he imply I even do that? <laughs> um, did you enjoy the process of writing it? Like, was that your first attempt at writing a novel or at writing like something creative, I suppose? I suppose something lo like long form, like I suppose I did kind of quite surrealistic essays um, for this this blog that I keep bringing up for some reason. <laughs> um, now defunct. Na and my now defunct blog, which <laughs> what's don't the check it what's out. What's the point of even? Yeah. Um, but it was a similar thing to Roisin, um, where it was like sending away short stories and stuff to magazines and to websites and stuff and either getting no response or polite rejections. And just feeling like, okay, I guess I don't, I guess nobody cares if I, I guess nobody wants my fiction kind of thing. And um, then I got a call from an agent who said she'd be interested in representing me and did I have any ideas for a novel? And I didn't want to say no, um, <laughs> because like, you know, just say yes or whatever. And so I kind of dug out these sort of 10,000 words I had written that were like the beginnings of a novel. Um, and I was like, okay, I'll just show her this so she knows that I can, you know, do something. 
and uh, and then I just sort of like, took it from there. Really, it was it was honestly one person in the publishing industry saying like, "Oh yeah, you can do it." Like that was the that was the difference for me, you know. So you just need like that one person to kind of like push you along a little totally. bit. Totally. And the weird thing is that when it came to it, I really really enjoyed it because I was working for the uh, the pool, RIP. Um, <laughs> I was working for the pool and. Um, I, I, it was like amazing because like all my dreams had come true. Like I had finally had a like a paid staff writer position, and that was the dream. And then I had you know that thing where you like achieve something, and then you kind of had to come down off it when it's not exactly what you thought it would be. Like for example, like writing for an audience of like you know half a million women, you have to sort of flatten your tone. You can't really be like weird or surreal or whatever. So I was like, okay, I need to find a new outlet for that. And so I used to get up every morning at six um, and write for an hour. And then go into work, and I felt I was—I'd say I was the most pleasant I've ever been to work with, because I just felt like I was creatively already in the black, and everything was just like, oh yeah, everything after that is just grand, you know. It takes a while to find that mode, though, doesn't it? Like actually willingly getting up at six o'clock in the morning. Yeah. I hear that. I'm like, no, <laughs> I, can, <laughs> no, no. I can never be a writer. I, I can't. Get no, up I don't early. do it anymore. Like now that I'm a full-time writer and I don't work there anymore, like. But I think it was uh, it was one of those moments where I was just like, you know what? I'm not planning a wedding. I don't have kids. There's actually nothing going on right now. Do you know what I mean? And I'd also given up drinking for a year. So I was like, fuck it, you know? Wow. <laughs> I'll just Wh- give it my all, you know? <laughs> what What's your uh, routine, Roisin? God. Your writing routine? <laughs> your Your creative process? I love that every question I'm asking, you're like, oh, no. Um, <laughs> oh, no. I must stop doing that. <laughs> um, it's scattered. Yeah, very scattered. When a few months ago I was doing the getting up early thing and it was really working for me. And it was working so well for me then I was like, don't need to do that anymore. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Yeah, so I need to get back into that. Um, Yeah, I haven't been writing for the past few weeks because I've just been applying for like the Arts Council bursary and stuff and that sort of broke me a bit. So What does that involve? The bursary. Yeah, like so for the literature one this year, they you can apply for five, ten, or fifteen thousand euro to do your project or whatever. And I was like, I should apply for fifteen thousand euros. <laughs> and everyone was like, Yeah, go for it. And then I was like, Oh no, I'll go for ten thousand just in case <laughs> they only want to give me a medium range. They'll only give you what you ask for, so if I asked for 15,000 and there was someone else who asked for 15,000 that they liked better, then I would just end up with nothing. So <laughs> <laughs> I'd be happy with 10. <laughs> <laughs> I'm worth 10. <laughs> I'm worth 10,000 euros. <laughs> uh, it sounds like those uh, Arts Council applications are an art in itself, though. Yes. You just have to tell them what they want to hear, I think. I don't know if I have told them what they want to hear, but... Yeah, uh, someone said they just want to hear that you need time. Um, yeah, you need time. Time out from whatever it is that's stopping you from writing. <laughs> Which is depression. <laughs> depression. <laughs> uh, are, the, are, the, are the cogs going there, Caroline? You're like, hmm, maybe I should apply yeah, for a... Yeah, yeah, you should. No, I won't. <laughs> How how is the writing scene in London? Like I always think of the Irish writing scene as quite supportive and stuff like that. It seems like all the authors kind of know each other and help each other out. Like is it similar in London? Like um, the the writing scene over there? Um, it's hard to think of it as a scene as much as a lot of bitchy people on Twitter. 
Uh, <laughs> no, but um, I think I, I think I was very very lucky in that um I did this um I, I got involved in this film website called Best for Film that you basically could could write for there for free and I ended up everyone that was eight years ago and it it became defunct within two years of that um and everyone there I um I'm now either still best friends with them or I'm really good friends with their good friends and it's kind of mushroomed into kind of a scene by itself so it can be really hard to get your like anchor in somewhere and I th- and that sort of that London clicky thing like it's completely true like it's really like I remember the first two years I was there as being like the loneliest of my life you know and um and just sort of like like literally phoning up work colleagues on a Saturday morning to be like what are you doing today can I come and like that was like so I was like oh god like yeah, it was just um, it was uh, people in London can be incredibly clicky because uh, lots of people are trying to make it there, and you can't be friends with them all. You know what I mean? What changed? Like, you, obvi- you must obviously like it a lot more now that you've been there for like another five years. Yeah, I don't. I think at first, I think for the first two years, it would have been easier to come home. Um, but I think I just had this. Uh, you know, the people from your hometown that live in your head that don't exist. You know what I mean? That whole thing of like, oh, if I come home, people will think I failed, you know? And I, for some reason, I was really like obsessed with that, even though obviously like no one would have cared. Um, but I had this sort of idea of like my older siblings sort of like being like, oh, Caroline couldn't cut it or whatever. And that sort of just kept me there. But then the longer I stayed there, I mean, like anywhere else, like the more friends you make, the more connections you make. And then you sort of look around and you're like, oh, th- I, I actually have the life I've always wanted now, you know, which is really nice. Yeah. Did did you find the same, Roisin, when you came to Cork? It was like, oh, what am I, d- you know, like, I don't have anyone to talk to, or was it just like, I'm going to immerse myself in, like, the artistic side of Cork and, like, really take advantage of it? Oh, no, it was the worst time of my life <laughs> also. <laughs> was, it the, was it the worst time of your yeah, life? Yeah, it was awful. <laughs> um, I got to know Louise. <laughs> happy birthday, Louise. Uh, happy, happy birthday, birthday Louise. Louise. <laughs> <laughs> um... But uh, did not know a lot of people and was, it was, yeah, it wasn't great. Did you find Cork was clicky? Um, in the sense that there were clicks. <laughs> 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 but they, uh, <laughs> 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 That's a great answer. That's yeah, a great answer. That's not the right answer. <laughs> but no, it was more a sense of just, yeah, putting yourself out there and... Um, I really learned how to pretend to be confident because that was the only way I found you mm. could really get to know people. And then I think I just sort of became more confident from pretending to be confident. So that was nice. Yeah. And um, yeah, obviously I love Cork. Now. <laughs> I did well not like I Cork going. when I came here. Oh. Yeah. Were you like close to, to heading back to Leitrim? Like Kevin Barry always says, you know, like if you want to be you know, a writer, you've got to just go anywhere that you can kind of sustain yourself. And like he lives, he always says, you know, oh, I live on a bog in the west of Ireland. That's right. You know, were you, Lego, re- <laughs> yeah. were, you, were you tempted just to be like, not that I'm calling Leitrim a, a bog here. <laughs> <laughs> it is. <laughs> but like, were you tempted just to like cut yourself off and like, rather than like involving yourself in like the arts and, uh, you know, a scene in a different city, were you tempted to just be like, I'm just going to go to my caravan in Leitrim and just write right there? Um, I think he says well, you live in a caravan. I don't. <laughs> I think that's what Kevin Barry said. He lives like in a caravan in the box. Well, I know he, he locks his iPhone in his car when he wants to write. 
which is wise. <laughs> I should do that if I had a car, and I also don't have a caravan. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> Goals. No, that just wasn't an option. I was home for a month before I came here, and I was like, <laughs> nope. Um, yeah, it's pretty. It was grim at the time. I it it wasn't even so much to do with writing. It's just kind of finding uh, life, really, or just making a sort of home that I knew I could, or a sort of base I could have for the rest of my life, because I already knew it wasn't Leitrim, um, because for obvious reasons, I would say. Mm. <laughs> it's beautiful, though. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Caroline, you were, I, I remember seeing on social media that you went to um, the a book awards uh, late last year or something and I remember you saying that like you know you kind of feel slightly removed from what I said earlier you know the Irish writing scene mm -hmm. like is is that just a distancing or is there something else that's kind of there that maybe you don't feel as <laughs> as Irish as like some of the Irish writers who are based here yeah it's a weird thing and I've been thinking about it a lot recently because my second book is set in Ireland whereas my first book was set in London um, and I've so I've been mulling over that question a lot, and I think um, well, part of it is that, and it's not so much a writer's thing as a creative artist generally thing. Um, it's kind of a lot of like of like for example, quarter block party, right? Everybody who runs that festival, uh, this festival, and like does it so well and puts so much into it, they stayed like. You know, back in the recession when everything was so grim in Cork and everything was closing, and it felt insane to have to nurture any kind of creative community. Like it was a really grim few years there. Probably most of you remember it. Um, it felt insane that anyone could, you know, bolster an incredibly creative community. And now that exists in Cork, and that's because you know people like Louise and Keelan and Ashling and all and Rory and everyone they put that work in. You know, and sometimes I feel like I took the easy way out. Even though London's very hard to break into in its own way, it's its own set of challenges. But like, all of those people could have gone to a bigger city and just went, you know, do you know what? Cork is where my parents live. Fuck it. And they didn't, and they stayed, and they worked. And I just feel like sometimes quite uh, proud of knowing them, but also guilty myself of like not having done it. I don't know. I think Im immigrant guilt is kind of a thing. It's a bit like survivor guilt, I suppose. <laughs> um, I guess Ireland has changed so much as well, right? I mean, Cork has changed so much since uh, you left in 2011. I mean, you mentioned it earlier, the sexual repression and everything that was in Ireland in the past. Does it feel like a totally different city now? Yeah. Like from the outside? I feel like pre-recession, Cork was about owning an espresso machine and being an asshole. Like, <laughs> And now it's like this real like spit and sawdust everyone's for everyone's pals like uh maybe i'm being, being too romantic but like there there is that kind of verve to it and like i remember my mom saying to me she was like and, and like my dad like lost his job in the recession and like we, it was really tough times and she was like irish people aren't nice when they have money <laughs> and she's like and we weren't nice for so 10 true. years she was like <laughs> kelsey tiger didn't bring out the good in people <laughs> um so yeah i think it's changed enormously and like i've only seen the top one percent of it like i don't even know like uh, new restaurants new clubs new movements new like drag scene new new everything comes up all the time and i have no clue you know yeah um roisin uh tell us about this book that you're writing this novel do you like no segue there right in <laughs> um what what are you um, able to say like how, f how far through are you in the writing not very far. Yeah. I think I've got 40,000 words. So, but 
I have a good idea of where I wanted to go. Um, I feel I always feel weird describing fiction to people like oh it's about this and that but it is set on an olive farm in Portugal because <laughs> I was uh, I did a work away there last year on uh, helping with the olive harvest and I just found it really inspiring and I started to think what kind of story could be set set here um I don't really That's know. really cool. Oh, thank you. Is, <laughs> is is that all you need? Like just that one thing that like sparks an idea? Yeah, I think I kind of had the idea for this story for years, but I couldn't make it happen and then just once I was there, I think just the setting was what I needed to, for it to click into place. Yeah. Do you think as well, like helping out with the harvest and stuff, it sometimes it's like when you're doing something really methodical, yeah. that almost like you don't need your brain for, then your brain kind of like does weird things like that. Yeah, itself. yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And then the setting itself is so beautiful as yeah, well. Yeah. 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 This um, kind of remote valley in central Portugal. It's, yeah. And like, <laughs> and, and like, do you have like the basic outline of a book when you start? Or are you like, I have this one idea that, you know, you write in the first 10 pages and then you're like, how do I write myself out of this or into something else? Um, I think I haven't really had that with this draft, but a few things sort of, um, I don't know if this answers your question, but uh, a few things really helped it fall into place. So one was the olive farm. Um, one was podcast shout out, uh, West Cork podcast. I thought that was great. <laughs> and, um... Grim subject matter, obviously, but um, the effects of a murder on a remote community or something that I'm sort of exploring in the novel. Um, I read The Secret History by Donna Tartt, and that really opened my eyes to ways of dialogue and that kind of thing. And um, I've also just been watching a lot of TV and <laughs> realizing how good TV is now. <laughs> and it is good. Yeah, it is good. <laughs> Everyone's always looking for a recommendation. What, what are you watching? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even think right now. But lots. <laughs> Do I'll, I'll give you my notes after. <laughs> yeah, just in terms of like dialogue and plot and just new ways of exploring the medium. Just really, yeah, sort of... Um, help me think along those lines yeah and caroline do you do something similar like you're kind of like taking in these other me medium media i suppose you know like podcasts and books that feed in or tv shows or something that feed into the book while you're writing or are you someone who kind of prefers like just the book a as it is like just attack it as its own thing rather than like other stuff feeding into it uh, so i often think that like planning a book it's a bit like um you know when you go on like a like a city break and you've got only got like three days there. So you're like, you make a little itinerary or whatever. And the first day you're like, okay, I'm going to do everything I said, I, I said I'd do. And then you're like hitting all the, the good restaurant, the good high place that you're supposed to go up to and look down from. And like, you're really village vigilant. And then by day two, you're like, fuck it. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? And you sort of like go off piece. And I find that when I plan a book, like um, for the first sort of 20,000 words, I'm like sticking to like what I what I said I would do. And then after that, you kind of, it kind of gets under your skin a bit and you sort of wander and you, I don't want to say like, and then the characters tell you what to do, which is like, <laughs> like the worst thing people say. But like, you get to know these people that you're writing a bit more. In terms of like culture, I find music is a big thing that inspires me a lot. Like um, I've been listening a lot to um, Pillow Queens. 
Oh, great um, band. Great band. And um, there's like, do you know that song Maria they have? And I think there's like a line in it. And it just, you know when the, a line of a song just gets stuck in your head again and again and again? And like, um, it's like, you know, I think it's like, tell me where to find you when you lose your way or something. It's, something, it's like, a, it shouldn't have stuck in my head as much as it did, but it did. And I just kind of started building this whole picture out of that line of these two women who were saying goodbye to each other and who were in love with each other. And, you know, knowing that they'll get lost and knowing they're imperfect. And, and then, I, I don't know, then they just all kind of spawned out of that or something. I don't know. Is that your second novel? Yeah, yeah. Oh, when, when can we expect that? Probably January next year. Yeah. It's all, it's all done. It's so well. It's an editing process, so I mean, literally, could be could completely changed by <laughs> three months from now. Like. Well, from what I understand of the writing process, all authors love the editing part, don't they? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> like uh, you know, it's the word. It's like uh, my editor is always being like, "This is great," but like, could we raise the stakes more? And it's like, the stakes are all of these people will die, and they don't know when. <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> Where else can it go? Yeah, exactly. That's the human experience, man. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's um, I really like my editor. Like, we get on really well, and we, I, I'd like to think that we're like kind of friends in a way. So, uh, <laughs> she'll be listening to this and being like, no. <laughs> um, Are we friends? <laughs> I know. I got her. I got her a Christmas present, and I felt so weird about it. I was like, let's take it. That's nice. Um, what about your? Let's talk about your uh, first book, "Promising Young Women." Were you uh, happy with the reception that you got from it? Like, it seemed to do really uh, good things. Like, you proud of it? Yeah. Happy with happy with the oh, final? I hate it. Hate it. Yeah. Um, no, it's just like yeah. If you spend like two years with anything, you're gonna hate it. Like, it just feels very embarrassing now. But um, please buy it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, it, it was um, a funny thing because it, it did. What was interesting is that it did really well in Ireland, um, and it did, and like, it, it did well sales-wise in England as well. But like the Irish press were really keen, really supportive. Like I, I did. I had no end of like Irish press opportunities, and it felt wonderful. It felt like this lovely homecoming of like, oh, you know, I always thought I was like this expat, but actually to get all the support back home. Then like the English media didn't run a fucking thing. <laughs> Well, no, the, the women's Typical. magazines did, yeah. But it was like, uh, somebody told me, so another Irish writer told me, sh she was like, um, if you'd written about Irish things, if it'd been like people gazing onto a barren landscape, you know, in Leitrim. And uh, John McGarry. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and like, yeah, it was like brutal stuff about being abused by a priest. Like then they would have loved it. But I just feel like, I don't know. I felt like there was this weird, like, there's this expectation of what you should be as an Irish writer if you live in England that kind of bugs me, you know? And and so do the English writers have like a, a different thing? Like, are they getting written about in the English press, or is it just like uh, something else? Yeah, well, I guess I guess there's more people putting out stuff, and you know, therefore they have to be more selective. Um, but no, I th I don't know. I think when you're an English writer, it's taken as like the status quo, and when you're a writer from like the colonies or like <laughs> from another country it's like you're always introduced as irish writer da, da, da. like i did this um not to not to brag <laughs> i was like i was doing this sort of like uh tv thing the other day uh it was a really short thing and um you know like all tv things you're sort of waiting around much more than you're doing anything and everyone just kept saying to me 
we we all love your accent. We all like you know, and it was really really weird. <laughs> like yeah, and it's my accent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like well, there's no response to that. It's like when someone says you're showing off. It's like you can't. How do you respond to like oh your accent is Irish? <laughs> you know, you're like, what do I yeah, do with that? I'm from Ireland. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. I Sorry, get I what you mean yeah. though. Sorry. Yeah. No. Go on. No. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh no, I was just about to say typical, classic. Typical. Brits oh out. Yeah. <laughs> 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 That's what we came here for. Descending quickly into. You wrote a really great piece for the Irish Examiner, for which I work, um, about uh, like the response that you got, or kind of the expectations that you have with a book when it's released, and how uh, kind of different it is. Like, was it? Is it a kind of a come down? Just like once it's on the shelf, you're like, everybody tell me how great I am, and then it kind of doesn't come for a while. Yeah, no, it's weird. What they don't tell you when you put out a book is that um, most booksellers, because it's a hard profession to be in, they'll only order in like two or three copies max of your book unless you're like doing a launch there or doing an event there. And so you'll go into loads of bookshops and like your book won't be there. And it's weird because like, you know, when you like watch like musical biopics and they always have that moment where like they turn on the radio and their song is playing and they're like, oh, my God, it's us. <laughs> That moment never comes. <laughs> and everyone is like Instagramming you and like, uh, like you know, tagging you in pictures where they're like, buy a big display of your book, but it's coming from a parallel universe you will never access. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you're like, where are these displays? Um, so yeah, it's, it's a weird thing of like, you might see one copy here or there or anywhere. Like, have you seen anyone on the tube reading No. It? <laughs> um, but other people have from the parallel dimension. Okay, well yeah. yeah. Like, so... <laughs> <laughs> is it is is like I mean this is all ahead of you, Roisin. Is that your is that the dream? Someone reading your book on the tube? Oh yeah. <laughs> 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 then I'll be I'll die happy then. <laughs> um what what goals do you have uh for the book? Like is it just like just get it finished, just show that I can do this myself and anything that happens afterwards is almost a bonus, or are you like, this is gonna be a fucking great book, lads? Um <laughs> well, I was saying to Caroline before this interview, I was like, oh, I'm kind of hoping that this will just make my future, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I will have to write another page. <laughs> um, no, I just, I want to finish it and I want to get it published. I think that's basically all I can hope for, really. Maybe even that's too much to hope for. Um, but my first full book of poetry is getting published in the UK next year, so I was like, I might move on from poetry now for a while and <laughs> just leave that. It's a young man's game. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Are, are they two totally uh, different like creative processes as well, like writing poetry and writing novels? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is true what you said about the characters and stuff. It's like telling <laughs> you yeah. what, what to do. It's like the worst it's thing in the so world to say. cheesy. Yeah. But it's kind of nice for... <laughs> awful it's kind of nice for them to take the reins for a while and <laughs> you're just writing about their problems not your problems which is what poetry is so that's <laughs> very relaxing yeah <laughs> and uh caroline you're uh super busy you have two podcasts yeah. going at the moment uh like i have i've had the podcast for like three years there's almost no actual podcast chat on it so i'm excited for, for us to talk very briefly about podcasts do you enjoy doing them school of dumb women and sentimental garbage yeah it's it's really interesting because like um i guess what's interesting is that like the like, podcasting is having such a, a boom i suppose and um 
people listen to so much of them and I think that people are probably consuming podcasting more than they are any other creative medium right now or at least people kind of our age I'm saying the mean age of this room is about 28 so (laughs) (laughs) our age (laughs) Um, um, and so you get people coming up to you about your podcast more than you about anything else I find I had this really weird moment I was at um do you know the festival end of the road yep Yep. Um, I was there and I was, I, w- I was there for like a literary event and um, we had to do this thing afterwards where we were like signing copies of our books and um, uh, there was an, another much more famous author who was standing next to me signing his books and he was like, he's like a Sunday Times columnist and like he's got like this huge, huge fan base. I can't remember his name. <laughs> but he was very hot. Um, <laughs> and... Uh, Anyway, so like the people who wanted to sign my book, I had like finished for them in like five minutes and he had like a really, really long queue, but I was contracted to stay there for the whole hour and it was the most (laughs) mortifying. (laughs) And like people came up to me and everyone thought I was his PA. And and at first I was like, oh no, 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 I'm a writer, but that got too embarrassing. And I was just like, yeah, he's got a really busy schedule now. Um, but anyway, I digress. So then, like la- later <laughs> that night, I was walking back to my tent at like two in the morning or whatever, and I was like talking to my friend, and I was like, you know, I know it's like I'm lucky to be here, and I'm lucky that I was brought here, but you know, I have to, I have to be honest. Uh, that was that really sucked. That really felt gross to like be standing there. And then somebody from in front of us turned around, and they were like, Caroline. And I was like, who the fuck are you? And they were like, <laughs> I listened to your podcast. I, rec- I recognized your voice. And then she stood around and she just like oh, held my hand and she was like, oh, I love your podcast. Da, 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 da. And I was like, wow, you're an angel. I was about to, <laughs> I was about to kill myself. <laughs> so like that, that thing is lovely. Cause like, you know, it's so weird that someone could like recognize your voice as opposed to your face. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Um, <laughs> podcast fame. It's a strange <laughs> thing. Yeah. It's a weird, <laughs> weird thing. You know? um, like I, f- I find that just doing like, a weekly one or trying to do a weekly one is so hard but you started up another one as once as well sentimental garbage about chiclet yeah so um i don't i had this experience when promising young women came out where like um people would ask me what it was about and i'd be like oh it's about like a toxic relationship between a man and a woman in a workplace and they were like oh right is it chiclet so and they kind of they sort of said it in this really like is it chiclet like um in the sort of like oh yeah, I'm like ashamed to be calling it that, but also I have no other word for it. And I, I got really, and what's interesting is, is that like you know, liter- highbrow literary fiction that we see on like in you know front out in in Waterstones or we see it recommended in papers and magazines, um, that actually makes up for a very small percentage of books that are bought. Like really, chi- things like Shakespeare, Marion Keys, like Sophie Kinsella, like Joanne Harris, all those kind of those women who write in the mainstream way for other women they are paying for the book industry to exist. Those are the books that people actually buy in the supermarket and make money. And there is no artistic respect afforded to any of them. And it's just like, oh, it's also formulaic, girl meets boy and stuff. It's like, yeah, but like, because that stuff is formulaic and because it's a pattern that you can see coming, it makes it really rich to invent things around that and explore like different social issues. Like, I mean, like Marion Keys, all of her books, like like they deal with like addiction and sickness and uh, abusive relationships, but they all have a formula within them of like girl meets boy and then they get back together in the end and they have some kind of fight in the middle. Um, but I, and I just think that they're not appreciated for the art that they are and I wasn't seeing it anywhere. So I just decided to make it. Cool. Um, I don't really have many more questions. I guess just what what are you up to at the moment? Podcasting, editing? Podcasting, editing. Yeah, kind of. Um, 
Yep, podcasting it is. I'm Roisin. Um, not podcasting. <laughs> um, yeah, just writing away. Yeah, and well, I haven't signed the contract yet, but it's in my bag, and oh. my contract is for my book next year. So Are you going to do it on stage? Oh, Read wow. my contract. <laughs> sign the sign the contract. <laughs> All five pages <laughs> of it. <laughs> So that's the thing <laughs> about it. Yeah. Um, it be called Mercy. Oh. Yeah. I wanted to call it Mars in Retrograde. And my publisher was like, no, that is unwieldy. <laughs> and, and then I was like, okay, I want to call it Amongst Women because I'm from Leitrim and John McGahern is from Leitrim and he wrote Amongst Women. And my publisher was like, that is one of the most famous novels, <laughs> Irish novels of the 20th century. <laughs> <laughs> you cannot call your book Amongst Women as well. <laughs> Amongst women too. Yeah, amongst women too. <laughs> <laughs> we do, yeah. <laughs> cool. Uh, I'm all out of questions. I don't know if anybody in the audience has any questions that they'd like to ask either of the writers. No? No? Final chance? Okay. <laughs> Most awkward moment. <laughs> do, do you guys have any questions? Any questions? For each other. <laughs> For whoever. You can, ask, like you can can ask a question. I can ask you. Can I ask you a question? Yes. How do you like, how do you do a poem? I've like tried. I've tried, and it's. I just get too embarrassed and stop. <laughs> oh, you have to not be embarrassed. Okay, and yeah, that's really the secret. I would say, <laughs> like, it's gonna be bad at first, really yeah. bad. Yeah, so bad. You'll write the worst poetry, and then it'll get better, and then your lack of embarrassment will enable you to read out poems about your ex-boyfriends while your ex-boyfriends are standing in the crowd and <laughs> <laughs> that kind of thing oh, <laughs> so oh no yeah. it's really just um oh geez. yeah thank you pretend it's all pretend like, how, yeah. how, how many rewrites do you do on a poem oh loads like hundreds well oh. <laughs> Not hundreds. tens tens tens, tens. <laughs> sometimes for years and then if you're rewriting a poem for years, you're eventually like, this obviously is not working, so yeah. goodbye. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Because like, you can hide bad writing in a novel because they're huge, do you know what I mean? And if there's, like, a, if there's like a crap chapter, people will forget about it. But like, there's a really like jarring, weird crap line in a poem. People will be like, bad poem. That you is, know? Yeah, that is the thing. There's <laughs> like less for people to go on, so there. Yeah. yeah, you don't want to give them anything, really. So. <laughs> Cool. Like well, on that it. on that note, Roisin is going to sign her contract, and we're going to write some poetry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks a lot for listening. Uh, Junior brother is going to play another song in a minute. Might have five minutes of chats with him as well. Uh, thanks to Caroline. Thanks for to Roisin as well. Uh, go by their books of poetry and of novels, and <laughs> and thanks a lot for listening, guys. So. Junior Brother is back, everybody. Uh, Ronan is your real name. You're from Kerry. I, d I don't need to tell you this. Uh, you played the Spalpeen Faunic last night for Quarter Block Party. Uh, how'd you get on? It seemed like a really nice, respectful crowd. Like yeah. you silenced the crowd. That's a hard thing to do. Mm, I didn't have to tell them to shush or anything. They just went quiet. Uh, fair play to them. Um, it was great. It was great. Brilliant. Really enjoyed it. Um, I love it up there in Spalpeen Faunach. It's actually it's a lovely venue up there. I think the sound was great as well. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, despite the fact I'd um, I caught my finger in a car door um, yesterday. No, the night before yesterday. 
Yeah, so it was painful and I was on a lot of painkillers. But it was great crack, other than that. There was blood on the stage. You left blood on the stage. Yeah. Um, just before you play your final song, you've got uh, an album coming out later in the year. Mm-hmm. And we were talking beforehand, Paddy from the Altered Hours was saying, like, it's never too early to start plugging that, or that album. Yeah, so, yeah. So right. tell us about it. What, what and when can we expect? Um, it'll be out around May, but there'll be another thing I'm releasing before that that hasn't been announced yet. Um, so that'll be, that'll come with a, a song from the album with a, an accompanying video. Um, I already released one of the singles with a video at the back of her, it's called. Directed um, by Miles O'Reilly. Yeah, yeah. Um, collaboration between the two of us. So that was the first single, there'll be a second single and then the album will be out then around May, yeah. I'll leave it there. Um, I'm all talked out as well. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you play one final song. Uh, thanks again for everybody to, for coming out and listening to the interview and to the two authors and to Ronan, a.k.a. Junior Brother, who uh, I can't wait to hear this song from you. Thanks a million. Thanks, Owen. Cool. Take it away. Cheers. This is a brand new song. Uh, it's called No Country for Young Men.
got a bachelor looking into rivers, singing a swimming song. Thank you.